0: Conductor's Brew, this is Repapalooza, part two. Oh, that rhymed. Look at sort that. Sort of. It sort of rhymed. Look at you, long part two, kind of. All right. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we're back with our with our bonus round, and uh, we'll start with you, Matt. Okay. What you got I, for us? I like to look got a lot of Christmas
1: music, because, you know, no time never playing too early. Christmas than
0: the summer, like the summer, right?
2: It's really, it feels like Christmas with it the feels California like wildfire summer. smoke coming up oh, here. Oh, gosh, yeah, it's really hazy. It's
3: really
0: bad. Oh, bad inversion, Yes. The pollution, so, yes. all,
1: the, all the smoke from the fire. I've yeah. mentioned Handel's Messiah in previous weeks. Yep. I uh, I really wanted to do some Messiah excerpts for one of the Christmas concerts this year. Uh, I didn't want to do any of the solo bits because, uh, well, that's a whole other story. But let's just say I'm focusing on the chorus stuff. Some of these are fairly easy, like, Behold the Lamb of God, O Thou That Tellest, not terribly difficult. Some of them are ridiculously difficult. Uh, like we shall purify or all we like sheep with us all the, all is all these melismas in the in the vocal parts where you have to be really nimble and really light I'm going to be avoiding those <laughs> uh, merely for the sake of ease um, because we just don't often work with the most professional singers which is fine it's a, it's merely a matter of finding the appropriate repertoire for the appropriate groups uh, so anyway I went through every single chorus number in the whole piece. Even the uh, even the chorus numbers that begin halfway through a solo number. Um, like, what is that alto one? It starts with an alto solo and goes into the... Oh, thou that tellest? Are you talking about the glory to God?
0: Glory to God. I don't know.
1: One of these. I'm it's, losing track of which the one. one. There's a couple numbers that begin with uh, with so the solo singers, yeah. and then they go and directly and right segue into the chorus. Yeah. Um, and I'm realizing that's easy to adapt. I can just... I can just take those out of context. So what I'm doing, long story short, is I am finding out what the kernel of text has to say. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, for instance, is from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Like, what would go well with that? In terms of Christmas carols? Because I'm also trying to put some Christmas carols together. What, like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Something like that? And then there's... Uh, since by man came death which is another great chorus number from part three i believe by man came also the resurrection of the dead for as in adam all die even so in christ shall all be made alive so what are what are some carols i can go with that that are all about like resurrection and, and all that sort of stuff so anyway that's what i'm thinking about in terms of messiah is pairing pairing these chorus numbers with uh, well-known Christmas carols that I think will be a hit with uh, the local audience and also sort of introducing them to maybe some of the uh, the Messiah excerpts that they're not so familiar with because of course we're doing Hallelujah Chorus. They do it every year. That'll close the concert even though it doesn't end Messiah. Uh, But the Great Amen I think is probably just a little bit too challenging as well. So you're and you're going to do this with Chorus or singers? Yes.
0: Wow. Yep. Okay. Yeah, because it, yeah. it's a, the Evanston group. This is uh, the Vernal group. Oh, the yeah. Vernal, Vernal group. Yeah, they're they're too. planning. Oh, okay. They've been
1: in green. The green morning, basically as as normal is what they're operating on. So we're we're planning okay. to have full orchestra and chorus on stage wow. in December. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Impressive. Yes. Um, well, I'm, I'm I'm glad it's, it's safe enough for. to do that. Out there. Yes, Good. it is safe enough. They've had very very few cases, thankfully, and I believe zero deaths in that county. Okay. Um, hopefully, it will stay that way. But again, we're waiting on. Uh, School to start to see how that progresses. So, first yeah. or else, It's not till the end of September, so
0: we've got a little bit more time
1: to yeah. nail things down.
0: Yeah. I mean, in terms of carols, I mean, I, I nothing nothing comes off. Oh boy! I oh, thought no, we got the honey bucket truck. Oh my. <laughs> All right, we're we're back. We're back yeah. after that. Another random truck. Um, so Matt. Um, yeah. So the Messiah carols that pair well with the Messiah. Yeah. I don't know. You guys have any thoughts on that? I wow. Yeah, I'd have to give that some thought. Yeah. Right, we're going to get back to
3: you on I mean, that You could yeah. do, do something kind of uber sacrilegious with the resurrection when this I'm, like, frosted snowman.
0: But oh. I like I like the...
2: <laughs> <laughs> It'll work. Here it comes, Anakin.
0: But I like I like the idea of the pairing yeah. of the Messiah. Decre- you know, yeah. So you're going to go back and forth. You're going to do mm-hmm. some Messiah choruses, and then you're going to do carols and back yeah, and forth. Might do of all the, uh, what is it, the Gloria?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's a...
0: Oh, perfectly timed FedEx truck. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Thank you, hey, FedEx truck. There hey, he Doesn't like the Gloria. Hey, he like yeah. oh, let it be known. That's his... Uh, no, I, I love it. Oh, wait, we're stopping here. Yeah, I wonder if that's for me. All right, we're going we're gonna to take another pause here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He's going to at least put the brake on it. Oh. oh, there he goes.
2: Okay. All right, Brandon. I actually saw, thought that was and Bronson for a, for a second.
0: second.
2: <laughs> Whoopsie daisies. Okay, Brandon. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, it was interesting. You know,
3: Messiah is a great piece. I've been able to sing that a few times. Um, it's. I think it gets a bad rap because it's poorly done in mm-hmm. a lot of places. It's be done. Yeah. Poorly, I should say. Um, <laughs> but I think musically, even though it's not Handel's greatest musical output ever, um, I think it's, I think it's a great piece. I love overall. it. Overall. And the way that it was put together, uh, is, kind of blows my mind, especially because it was so quick, but, um, musically yeah. I think there's some great elements. Of you wrote so. it in like two weeks or something yeah, like that? Yeah, two weeks. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, we we two weeks to put that. it together. Well, and it's a lot so, of, he, yeah. he, I mean, he borrowed a bunch of stuff from other things just to get it all slammed together, but,
1: He no, you, um, you was so inspired by the, the libretto, uh, that. He wasn't under a deadline or anything. He just was so inspired by it that he just banged it out in two yeah. weeks, his so, yeah. you know, I, I think it's
3: an underrated piece in some ways, even though it's overly done poorly by a lot of community choirs. Well, that brings
1: <laughs> up the question of addition and and which performance do you try to replicate? Or, because yeah. there's no such thing as the authoritative messiah. Nice. There's just no, no such thing. Handel himself changed it multiple times to suit the performing circumstances or even the venue or even the singers. He would change things on the spot.
2: Well, and, like, wasn't it Mozart who, like, added, like... Additional instruments? Yes,
1: yeah, and that got turned into the Ebenezer Prout edition, which was the standard for the first half of the 20th century, and then I think it was the Watkins Shaw edition that became the new standard. After oh, like that.
2: the Robert Shaw? Uh,
1: no. Different Shaw. Different Shaw. Yeah. Oh. Which uh, I think is based more on the quote-unquote authoritative sources. OK. Uh, it pairs back down the instrumentation that Mozart and Prout added. The Prout is more or less the Mozart edition, Plus, a
0: few changes, basically. It's a, just an of change. All right, creepy, yeah. creeping on by a FedEx truck. All right. Yeah, this poor guy's having trouble with the his parking brake. Yeah, FedEx I know. Roll backwards street, a couple times. This Brandon. is slightly Brandon. concerning. Yeah, that's definitely not working. This has been this, the parking spot of truck trouble for them. Yes, indeed. Okay. Uh, where's it go next? Brandon, what you got for Matthew, us? Thank you for that. Um, oh, thank you.
3: Gosh. Know. You know what? I'm going to talk about something. Speaking of nationalistic music, oh, okay, geez. that's kind of
1: yeah. But that last week the, we, the was, well, we, had yeah. A, we had a nationalistic May, element. I here. just want to mention Marsh Slav. Oh yeah, um, which is
3: not quite as bombastic, you know, as, as the eighteen twelve. Um, but
2: wait, you mean March Slav doesn't have cannons? There's
3: no cannons. Oh. <laughs> I mean Marsh I s- Slav is
2: pretty bombastic. You it is. You put cannons
3: in the end, but. The, the thing I want to mention about this, and the reason why I brought it up, is not because it's the greatest piece that's ever been written um, by Tchaikovsky or any composer. Um, it's the first piece of classical music that I heard as a kid. Oh, really? And that's what got me interested in that Wow. Yeah, you, I remember you and and I to... mentioned this before, but that was the piece that I found the records that my mom had in Utah Recording from the 70s um, with Maurice Bravanel. Hmm. And that was the piece that and I didn't know what it was as a kid, I just knew that this was really cool. But the thing that I, that I, and I, what was really neat, special for me was that that was the first piece that I conducted, air quote,
0: conducted as a five-year-old, yeah. um, ever. That's when it's appropriate to conduct recordings when you're five years old. <laughs> and I did. That's right. <laughs> That's not, not, nothing wrong with that. Oh, now we have, what, an air raid. Yeah. <laughs> Life flight helicopter, hang on, folks. Some life is being saved right now. We um we just, we just had we just had bad luck with the engine sounds today. But you know we are outside. It's yeah. just Way, way so, of the world. All right, go ahead. But um but what I was what I was saying
3: is so that's the first piece that I that I conducted quote unquote as a kid. Um in my Real life was more slobs. But last year I got an opportunity to do that at the University of Utah too with our mm. campus symphony. Um and so for me that was kind of a full circle journey. Uh, I did it for real for real um, with an orchestra and it went really well Um, Matthew played I did trumpet in that ensemble for me as well were you playing fourth horn? Uh, third trumpet third trumpet I thought we were yeah that's that's right Um, so it was great and um, but one of the things I admire about um, Tchaikovsky because it is a nationalistic piece in a lot of ways um, it's it's kind of programmatic in that way you know the whole point Mm. of it was to be this kind of rousing fundraiser piece anyway that it was supposed to be and Tchaikovsky didn't really care that much about it when he wrote it but um, even though this is sort of something he kind of just quickly wrote and passed on um, there are moments where he really I think took the time to think about it and do something interesting with it and moreover it's like just the opening beginning of the piece where we're in a minor key we have this great um, kind of Slavic tune being played um, there's a lot of emotional punch to it I think that can be brought out in an orchestra playing it well um, and I respect that from you know even from this little piece that was just written for this charity thing um, that he took the time to really he wanted to incorporate some sort of folky nationalistic thing for the people that, that the fundraiser was for
2: B flat minor right?
1: yeah
3: Gosh. Um,
2: what a terrible key
1: yeah there's a great recording of that. It uh, was well, a lot of great recordings. Um, one that comes to mind is uh, uh, Russian National Orchestra recent recording. Can't remember the conductor. Uh, and the brass is just screaming. I mean, trumpet players' dream. Well, like, one of the cool
2: things that's kind of interesting about you know like Russian orchestras is you know American orchestras and European orchestras have like really kind of like adopted to, like playing like C trumpets. Just mm-hmm. like you know, interesting because it's like a cleaner sound and whatnot. But like when I saw the St. Petersburg Philharmonic play, um, Shostakovich five in Chicago, they all played on B flat. No kidding. Yeah. Well, it's written in B flat, isn't it? It is uh, for the, the parts yeah. themselves. Yeah. And obviously it makes sense <laughs> to play, you know, a B flat horn in a key, in a piece that's in B flat minor. Doesn't, doesn't lay real well. No. So. <laughs> Fingering wise. Well, it just makes the overtones, you know, um, a little wonky, especially like when they're com- when it comes to like the open fingering. So, yeah. So, but I, you know,
3: just those pieces like that. I think it's. I I like when a composer takes a piece that's like that and and really puts in some a folk element. I mean, you talked about Smetna, Dvorak does this as well. Um, you know, they add in kind of these these personal touches that are meaningful to them in some way, um, or to their listener, their their target listener. Um, and I think. For me, I like to make sure that I pay homage to that a little bit. And Mm -hmm. so, like when I rehearsed with the Campus Symphony with this, I said, you know, I talked to the violas. I said, you guys, you got to bring out this tune because this is something really meaningful. In fact, it was interesting because I got to do this in a, I did this piece in a workshop in Greece with with your buddy. Oh, yeah, at the Embodid Acting Institute. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, when I did a workshop there. And we had just six players. um, That was our ensemble. um, Five strings and a keyboard. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I workshopped this with them and then I did that as as our little performance thing but what was one of the interesting things all the players were from Bulgaria in our ensemble and I had two of them come up to me afterward and thank me for taking the time to really try to get into the mindset of the Slavic people for that piece because for them, they're Bulgarian Mm -hmm. but for them that still had meaning in kind of this nationalistic historical Mm -hmm. way and they thank me for taking the time to really try to approach that emotional barrier um, in, in, a, in a not a convincing way, I guess, but in a, a reflective way that was that was not just playing the notes. It's part of the piece, it yeah. ha- so needs to for them, be attention For them that was meaningful to them and then that, that became meaningful to me and so from that point on whenever I've thought about the piece or I've conducted the piece and things like that, I wanted to make sure that I bring that element out because that's important for that, those people, especially that were suffering at the time when Tchaikovsky wrote the piece, the Slavic people in the war that was going on. So there's a lot of history um, behind that. So, there. yeah. And I think, again, it's one of those little insight pieces that I think as a conductor, we should try to find those things in these good pieces that are going to connect in a different way, because there's a reason why those pieces were written, um, especially for the audiences in this case that they were written for. So that's what I wanted to say. On
0: that that's, piece. I mean, and that's, and it's, um, you know, it's sort of a good segue to kind of the piece I wanted to talk about next. But um, I, I think getting in that mindset—can you talk a little bit more about what does that, what does that feel like? Like, like can I well, get that?
3: I mean, obviously, i have I'm not from the Eastern Bloc of Europe. Um, I've not been through a war <laughs> like that or anything. I, I haven't <clears throat> experienced that kind of suffering. Um, but you know, I, I'm kind of an amateur fan of history, and so. I, I, I love watching the documentaries and things like that and, and learning about historical moments that are important for the development of civilizations in the mm. world and things. Um, and I think as I thought about what is this piece trying to communicate to me, I, the one, it was kind of a weird image that the one thing that kept coming to my mind was I just saw these women in my head. I just saw these mm. women who were suffering and just lamenting the loss of their fathers and sons mm. and husbands. And so that was kind of the mental image that I took into that piece for the opening of the piece. Obviously, mm-hmm. it completely changes once the Russians come and save the day. Um, mm-hmm. But the beginning of the piece, I think there is this kind of somber, sad, melancholy moment where it's really reflective. And then the fact that he's having the violas really play the melody out to begin with, you get this tenor, mm. uber-emotional, melodic, warm sound violas. to kind of cry. Um, and to get a viola to cry is great. Well, it's, well, it's you know. not hard. Well, I mean, <laughs> that, you, you, there's me a that difference between getting players. a viola Set to cry and be, crying because of the violas. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh, true. Those are two different and, uh, things. Uh,
2: viola jokes. <laughs> Mr. My <Yeah>. oh, yeah. <laughs> Um you mean so Rob Baldwin shouldn't listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, Dr. Baldwin. Um, he makes viola jokes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's a violist. He can. Yeah, 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 right. exactly.
3: So I, I think there's something special about that, especially because for me, like, the viola, I think, is... Of all the string instruments, maybe besides the cello, I think it's the most vocal um, sounding. And so for them to have that moment and just kind of, I think it was a good choice by Tchaikovsky to voice them to sing this sad lament, um, this folky lament to open, kind of set the mood of of this Slavic kind of war that was happening that, and so for, for me it was, I'm just picturing these women that are just devastated um, at what's been happening. Heartbreak of war. The heartbreak of yeah. war. You, and it really is just this little tiny slice, you know, of just a few measures of moment, because um, the whole piece is not a, is not about that and doesn't have that feel. But um, that's how I like to approach that piece, because I think there's a story right at the very beginning. I mean, the whole thing has a story to it anyway, but I think right at the beginning, I think that there's a mood that, and I think that's, as a kid, I think that's what caught my attention was that, not only are the two sections kind of like completely opposite as far as the feeling um, and what's happening but um, I don't know it just spoke to me in that kind of way and so um, that piece and anything kind of like it and I mentioned you know, all my stack today is kind of these minor key pieces um, again I, I just think that for me that that speaks to me a little bit more and, I, and it makes me want to think more about what is the composer trying to say with this what are we trying to convey when we play it um, that's not Stars and Stripes Forever. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just go out and have a good time, and everybody go home. Yeah, so, different levels did,
2: of. But meaning. did Sousa really have a good time? I don't you know, know. Writing the Ray into the first four <laughs> <laughs> notes of Stars and Stripes Forever, maybe. <laughs> anyway, so yes, that's where I'm, well, I'm going to leave that there. Very
0: good. Well, that's <laughs> a good segue into the one like I said I wanted to talk about for my next piece, which is the Kralia Overture. Uh, I mentioned this in a nerd moment a few episodes back, but I wanted to bring it back just because I. Just love this piece, and I'm like, I have a mission to like promote this piece more, because <laughs> people know the Suite, but I don't think the Overture gets done enough, and it's also folk-based, right? And um, I think it kind of fits this a similar um, position as March Slav. Um, Karelia um, is a region; it's now in Russia, but it was part of Finland at one point. And um, it's, it's and, whoops. They're going to Are we going to move out FedEx? Trip? I don't know. All right. I'm just going to keep coming up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press on everybody. Uh, but anyway, it's got some great themes in it, some beautiful tunes. And uh, the, just the way he, the, you know, the writing that he does and weaves them in and out is just wonderful. And it's it's simple. All right. Bon voyage, FedEx. Uh, and, but it's, it's relatively simple to do. It's not as hard, I think, as Finlandia, even. I uh, agree. Yeah, so have you done Caleigh Overture? Well, I did it for, for York, orchestra that one time. Oh yeah, you you yeah. covered that rehearsal. Yeah. Um but it's got this it's got sort of similar feelings. It's got that quiet part in the middle. Yep. it's got some gorgeous horn writing and it's just a really accessible piece. And uh, like like you were saying, Brandon, it can kind of, it can kind of get you into the you kind of get into the mood and the spirit of you know what's going on in that era and sort of connecting with that it can help with that have you got a bee going on over there guys Just a little bit that happened to me last week
2: you gotta watch the he, bees you think they smell good apparently
0: which is all right we've got some something something they're looking for you got some flowers next year or something but anyway corelia overture i just think is, is a gorgeous piece um and it should get done more i've done it like three times now so i'm trying to uh trying to really put it out there and i know this sweet the, the sweet is pretty popular too um, and it's an early work. It's Opus Ten by him, so it's it's kind of early Sibelius. Is is, is the Suite Opus Eleven? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. All right, Matt. What do you
0: got for us? Yeah, oh man,
2: uh, I feel like I can just piggyback off of, off of Larry and talk about the Suite. Though the Suite for me is just a very failed attempt at every time I've tried to do it. Um, it was actually the first thing that I was going to do with the campus Symphony, and then. Um, Instead, I did Dvorak 8, which I am much more thankful for. It's a better Then uh, we were in the middle of rehearsing uh, the Corellia Suite um, right before the pandemic happened. So um, so it's kind of cursed for you. It is kind of cursed. But, <laughs> you know, I've, I've I've been told that I'm allowed to essentially say that I've performed it because I've rehearsed it. You can put it on, on the list. list. I can put it on the list. You,
0: you, were, you were prepared to perform it. Yes. You were yes.
2: in that place. Yes. Yeah. That counts. Um... I also will tell Brandon that I am very jealous that he got to do his full circle piece already. Um, if I... It's going to be a very long time before I get to do my full circle piece, um, which is Mahler 2. Mm. There is uh, video evidence of me conducting Mahler 2 um, <laughs> in the living room of my yeah. parents' house when I am, like, two years old. Wow. That was your introduction, though. Yeah, wow. Yeah. I literally would get, like, a a phone book and put it on a, right. on a on a music stand and pretend like <laughs> it's was a your score. score and I would actually go out in the field and I would go pick wheat batons and use those. <laughs> I mean, you know, to say that I was kind of destined to do this. Now um, did you do the whole hour and a half? Uh, <laughs> mostly just like the last like, just five the minutes. Minutes. Yes, Just, like, just the, the resurrection. Yeah, you know the um like probably like the last big choir thing, and then you know the the final uh, you know moments of E flat major, which just bring the world to tears every single time. Mm, it's good, you know. I I saw this really funny meme that someone had made of you know like, the Andy Dwyer from Parks and Rec making like the really like <laughs> happy Andy Dwyer face, and it was like the first time you hear Mahler two, yeah. the eight thousandth time you've heard Mahler two. <laughs> hey, you know it's does. Always the same. it does. It gets you every time. I'm sick of it. Oh, Matt, you are just being <laughs> Mr. Mr.
0: Grumpy Puss over I, there. Look, I listen. I, I love Mahler. I
1: I find the first three symphonies. I, I, look, okay. <laughs> this is this is hard to put correctly. Tell me how you really feel. I I, I don't think you got it right until the seventh symphony. And then finally, it all sort of works. Even, even like, no, Symphony number four, number five, and number six have moments that I just don't think they work. And especially the first three symphonies. I mean, crying out loud, how long does the third symphony
2: need to be? Uh, as long as it is. <laughs> as long as it is. Because it's, no. so it's amazing. I, I, th- I
1: all <laughs> of all of his symphonies are really they build on each other, and and I love the ninth. I've, I've written about the ninth, and I, I can always talk about the ninth, especially that first movement. It's just so special in how it portrays certain feelings. Uh, but the second symphony, I mean, I didn't, I didn't hear that piece until I was in college for the first time, and that was it probably wasn't even until my second or third year, uh, much to my shame, and I fell in love with it. I listened to it over and over and over again, and then I had the chance to assist Uh, on it and do some offstage conducting and uh, it's just a royal pain. It is. And if you're not out, even if you're out in front of the orchestra trying to coordinate everything on the podium, it's still a royal pain. There's just so much going on. The first movement, second movement, whatever. And then you get into the the later stuff where you have to deal with the chorus, you have to deal with solos, you have to deal with offstage brass, not just one group but two groups. And for me there's just too much empty empty space there's too much silence especially in the last movement and i get that it's all about um it's it's these heavenly views and and expansive sounds that are supposed to make us feel like we're somewhere unearthly now but uh, up in the cosmos yeah up in the cosmos somewhere uh i i I just i just don't know I much prefer the later symphonies that I think are far more efficient and and, and say a lot more with a lot less.
0: Mm. Well, your opinion is noted. Yes, thank
2: you. Well, I mean, you know, it, <laughs> it's, from, from a <laughs> noted if not agreed to. From a, from a duration standpoint, though, I mean, the ninth symphony is as long as the second symphony. I don't think it is. Is it? it, is? it? They're both eighty minutes long. No so way. Well, the second feels a lot longer. than <laughs> <laughs> oh. You know, okay. um, I, I will. I. I I really take note of of your opinion and I will say you know Mahler is a huge anomaly and I'm going to say this this is going to sound like really (laughs) weird but I honestly think that you could take the third, fourth, and fifth symphonies and make one symphony out of it. Now we're talking Wagner length. Well we are but (laughs) you know it's, it's interesting if you look at like the key relationships you know he starts in the third he starts D minor he ends D major he starts G major you know which could essentially be considered like a second movement at the beginning of four ends E major. Then he starts five C sharp minor, Minor, but ends D major. Ah. Half a step up. So they're just like bookends. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, he also does take material from all of that, you know, like, yeah. um, I think the song from the, the, third is in the fourth oh, gosh that's
1: not the same song is it i think at I think the end of the fourth the last movement it might be
2: but then you know there the first time you ever hear the it's in four it's in four yeah or is it three
0: no it's in there's four. A, there's a moment in three that has that isn't it no i don't think so i don't know yeah by the way were you here when salt lake symphony did malo two no oh you missed that that was amazing yeah, yeah. All right, Matt, we're back around to you. Oh, back to me again. All right. You got, have, you got, you got, are you done? N- well, did you i have never done. Oh, have here of course not. A
1: wonderful edition of WC's Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn. You have the good edition. I love, that I edition. love this yeah. edition. This is the yeah. Baron Rider edition. Uh, also, I should note, the uh, Norton Critical Edition is irreplaceable. And it's got some tremendous critical notes and uh, and essays on this piece that you can't get in the Baron Rider. So but the addition is equal. The, but the actual music printing is the
2: perfect. music printing is beautiful, yeah. It's oh, never mind. We are going to agree to disagree. In wait, in which one? <laughs> oh in that one the music printing it's beautiful is beautiful in the Baron Rider. Not, yeah. in, no, the, no, in, not the in the Norton. No the Norton's
1: terrible because it's this little pocket score that the score is tucked yeah. inside the middle of the of the book. It's like a book with the score in basically. And it falls apart. Anyway, I was giving some thought to strings in in prelude to the Afternoon of the Faun. I I love how he uses the string sound because so often it's it's variations on really 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 soft things with with subtle changes. Uh, for instance, the first few bars, of course, it's just the flute solo. But when the first strings enter, it's not who you would immediately expect. They enter in measure five. It's the violas, cellos, and basses that enter with mutes on, and uh, the cellos and violas are divisi at pianissimo. So it's, it's got to have like this richness to it that just adds color, I think. Two bars later, in the first and second's their first entrance. They also have pianissimo divisi with mutes. But this time, there's a tenuto marking. What does that tenuto marking mean? The, the the note value is a dotted half note. Why why is there a tenuto marking? I, I took that to mean uh, that the articulation's a little bit different, that it's a bit more, not accented, but immediate. And then later on, uh, rehearsal number one, measure 11, the strings play again with tremolo in divisi, still with the mute on. And this is all just shimmering, glassy sound effect, you know, played at the tip, for instance, just very, very light. Once we get into the melodic stuff for the strings, and I was finding myself giving a lot more thought to the Boeing, and especially W.C.'s Boeing markings versus what uh, you see in some orchestra parts. And I, I actually, let me, let me just preface this by saying a lot of the times you see historical Boeings written in parts that just aren't practical anymore because the instrument's different, the bows are different, the violins, there's the violas, the cellos, the basses, they're different instruments than Beethoven or Tchaikovsky was, was writing for. Uh, slightly different. And so now, because we have more powerful wind and brass instruments today, oftentimes string uh, principles will change bowings to uh, be able to get more bows in on longer notes so that they, there's more sound coming out mm-hmm. of the section. <clears throat> Prelude to the Afternoon of a font, I don't think we need that. So there's long sections, uh, and this is a slowish tempo too, a lot of this. There's long sections where these, these really long bows that happen and, and I find myself agreeing more and more with them, uh, not because I think Debussy was right to write him that way, but because I think they enhance the, s- the sound that he was looking for, and that to change that is actually a bit inappropriate. Uh, there's one particular passage, I'm trying to find it here, where the first violins enter and it's like two bars long, and if they start on an up bow, way out at the tip, they can actually make it with one bow. And it creates this beautiful, long, subtle crescendo that's gentle, but but very light at the same time, and, but effective. And oftentimes it, you just don't hear those things. You don't hear those effects. Uh, I think because orchestras will take too many bows. So anyway, Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn. That turned into a, a nerd moment on string technique, I think. <laughs> Uh, but it's one of those pieces that I think used we have to, to pay a nerds. lot of attention to how the strings are actually playing the piece. Yeah. In terms of their bowing. And the choice of string and fingering, even. Yeah. yeah so have you done that one before? Yes, I did this. Uh, yeah. I did it in a workshop, and I also performed it with uh, the orchestra at school, the Utah Utah Philharmonia? Yes, yes. thank you. Yeah, and it, they did a wonderful job with it. Uh, and they were they were gracious enough to allow me to indulge me to experiment with some bowings, to the point where I even had um, added some devices in terms of the bowings. Like I would have the first or the second uh, half I would have start on an up bow on some things and half start on a down bow at the same place to to create this 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 uh, synthesis of sound that wasn't an up bow sound or a down bow sound necessarily, but it was just sound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I did a few slightly unorthodox things from a modern bowing technique perspective, but I think it worked out really well. I would do it again that way.
3: Right, I think it, I think it's some good insight in that, especially when you're talking about somebody like WC who was all about color. Yeah, um, very much so. And,
1: and just it can't yeah.
3: it can't be just kind of a standardized. We got to do it this way. Yeah, it's militaristic kind of. You know, everybody has to. We're going to bow this way. You know, it's not it's not about the sound of it. It's about the color of it.
1: Oh, here's, here's the example I was I looking a, for. I think that's a great thing to say. Uh, yes. So, uh, measure 63 for those following along.
0: Uh, <laughs> yes. Everybody a, got their scores the out. The tempo marking it is on animon, which means
1: becoming animated. And all the strings play. So, re, do, mi, la, so, mi, re. That theme, right? It's gorgeous. And the winds, you know, have this beautiful over on top of that. But anyway, the strings have marked uh, very exp- expressively and very sustained. Uh, and there's two bars that have uh, a bowing mark over them. And there's the slide from that third, second bar into the third bar and if they play with starting a down bow and they don't break up the two bars by changing it into a down or an up or an up and a down uh, really they enter with this extremely silky almost misty transparent sound that, that builds and gets less transparent and more weighty as the phrase continues and by the time they reach the lower F and jump up to the B flat they're all the way down at the frog and they can achieve the crescendo really, really effectively up to the, the top B flat, which I think is the idea here. So I found that to be one of the most effective examples of that Boeing, WC's
2: Boeing working out really, really well. Very cool. Nice. All right. Other Matt. All right. Um, I'm also going to go the French route right now, actually. Um, Ooh. Wee, wee, wee. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk about, you know, something that we piggy, that we talked about earlier in the, in, in part one, I should say, you know, kind of, Differences between, like, programmatic and absolute music and, um, you know, how sometimes composers will give us programmatic ideas or stories to follow um, and how, you know, still we can create our own things. And I'm going to talk about Symphony Fantastique a little Mm. bit, but not the movements that are going to come to mind, but I'm going to talk about the third movement Mm. in particular, Mm. where, you know, um, it's very... In a way, for for me, that that is is that has WC sorry Berlioz being very 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 French, because the first two movements I would say it's not really about color for him. Um, I think it's more about melody. Mm. Um, but in the third movement, I think really it mm. is when you kind of start to see about color, and you will for like, the rest of the the piece. Um, you know, especially with his different uh, string techniques and, and whatnot. But how <clears throat> Berlioz kind of sort of puts us in like a reality, and he puts us in a dream. Mm. Um, in the two th- in two themes that he he does, um, you know the very 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 beginning of the of the movement, the, the
3: shepherd's call, <laughs> <Yeah>. all
2: <that. laughs> um, But then he also does, you know, has the. The id, the id fix, and how, like, the id fix for me is, 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 really what the dream is. Um, you know, I guess for those who, who, you know, do or do not know the story about the piece and and what happened in Berlioz's life past the piece and his actual marriage to Harriet Smithson and mm-hmm. whatnot, but how. This is yeah. the weirdest way to woo a woman. Absolutely, we'll just, we'll just absolutely. It's amazing that she married him. I cool. know, right? Yeah. He was so. In, t- tell the backstory. Well, he, he met. Saw, uh, she was doing a, a Shakespeare. Uh, he saw her doing Shakespeare, fell in love with her, and you know, <laughs> wrote this piece to woo her. Um, was or Delilah about her. was that about the character
1: where she was playing? Delilah. Maybe or something? I, I couldn't. I, I couldn't remember which yeah.
2: uh, which which Shakespeare. That's why yeah. I just I was being very generic and just said <laughs> Shakespeare. Um, didn't mean to call you out there that's all right that's all right (laughs) um and uh i won't i'm not going to go into this basically the the. the e-day fix is a a melody that represents
0: represents her her the woman that this artist has fallen in love with and she rejects him and he tries to kill himself with an opium overdose correct doesn't die but goes into this dreamlike state and so he imagines her in different scenes yes and it is presented in this through this melody called the e-day fix which also could is means an obsession too Oh, yeah. Well, you yeah. know, um, you know.
2: <laughs> so, because it's a fixed idea, like something you can't get out of your exactly. mind. Exactly. Like it's, that's, it's, that's... It's, it's, it's it's planted there. It's not leaving. Yeah. There's this one moment, and I was trying to look <clears throat> on my, you know, portable computer, um, what moment it is, or like what letter or measure number it is in the score. And I, if I re- recall correctly, I want to say it's letter P. Um, I could in the Baron Rider score, I could be wrong, but it's where the <clears throat> Uh, it's like this transformed idea of the Ide Feats um, is overlaid with the first real theme. Um, you know, so I think it's like you have the the strings doing the underneath and you have the woodwinds doing this Da, dee, da, 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 da. I think you know exactly what I'm yeah, talking it's towards about. Towards the end of the movement. Yep, yeah. and it gets—it's it's like you know, maybe about two two minutes before you get to like the the, the thunder. thunder yeah. So, um, <clears throat> but just had those ideas just kind of like—it's—it's it's like the first time that I kind of really believe that Berlioz was on like the same plane as being like simultaneously real and dreaming. Mm. Um, it's a wonderful moment. Anyway. It really is. Yeah. How come that's not a t shirt, Matt? This barely goes real and dreamy. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'd have to put my face on it. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Something for the ladies. might be misinterpreted as a t shirt. Well, you know, <laughs> that's a program title right there, a concert title. <laughs> it's, my, it's my doctorate recital. Real oh. and dreamy. Um,
0: that sounds like something Baldwin would come up with. He likes those kind of like two things that, you know, yeah. Yeah. Right. paired yeah. Yeah. together. Barely thing, right? yeah. Yeah. The yeah. realm of the dream.
2: Yes. All right, but you know what I would really do is I really just program Corellia Suite and then not do it. So. There you go, <laughs> exactly. Do the overture; it's safe. The overture is okay. Um, good. Do you have any more about that or? No. Um, uh, you know, I, I just I want to just say that I, I absolutely love this. This is so much fun <laughs> but to be able to just. Yeah, we're just uh, it's uh, talking like shop, you know. Idea it, it, in it, the shop. It, it, I mean, this is yard. this is this is literally just like what we do every time we hang well, that's, out. Well, that was way. the whole idea. It's like
0: you know, <laughs> this is what we're doing, and you know, like I said, I get good ideas from hanging out with my mm. conductor friends, and we're just this is what we would normally talk about, and we're we're assuming people want to hear this, yeah, because you know, the world needs another podcast. Well, at the very least, I can go back and listen to what I said <laughs> exactly, and know what I said, and Precisely. because I have my memory. You, know, my you can you can understand all, all your memory. contrarian nature, <laughs> everything we have said you've disagreed with. It's I'm, four, I'm, three against
2: one. I know that I'm gonna get a text from you and like. A week, and you're just gonna say, "I still hate Copland 3. <laughs> That's a fair. That. I,
3: as, as our colleagues mature in, in yes, age, yes, these, will, these they young will pups understand more deeply some of the stuff that they claim to hate. Yeah,
1: it's a, it's a millennial phase. These
3: millennials, <laughs> they go through these phases. Kids
0: these days. Kids. I'm right on the cusp. I'm not quite a millennial. Yeah. Well, wait, 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 what's uh you you, you okay? So you have to be born uh, from 1980 on as millennial. I yeah, think.
1: I guess I'm a millennial.
0: Yeah, you are. Sorry, not that old. <laughs> you're, you're, you're vast you're like some of us here You're vast <laughs> is, Hey, hey. You know. uh, <laughs> you're, you're yeah. <laughs> anyway uh, So my piece So I'm on a mission This week It's two things It's nationalism And it's pieces That should get performed more So my fun, my, my closing act mm. Is the opera By William Grant Still Called Troubled Island
2: um, That's the one you did For your DMA recital
0: right? I did Exactly yeah. I did I How did I, you know I, that? Because he unlike some Man people, <laughs> Matt McKeever <laughs> studies from the wisdom of his elders that came before him. He looked, into there. My, he looked into my time of the U and said, this is inspired. This is how it's done. I need to walk the path it's, it's of the Dr. It That's where the bar it's was a
1: good set, thing this right? is audio only because there's been some gestures flying yes. across the yard. You know you what, Matt? I'll,
2: I'll say this. For as much as you and I disagree on pretty much everything in this entire world, I love you very Not much. Not everything. We agree on a lot. Yeah, just not Copeland 3. No, not anyway. that's, that's never going
1: to happen. It's not Copeland and Sibelius and Mahler. And Mahler and Dvorak Strauss and, Strauss and Strauss and Beethoven. <laughs> and... <laughs> I, I will Larry, admit please. I am often <laughs> contrarian just for the sake of being contrarian. Yes,
0: this is, what, this is why we, this <laughs> is we is like this. point counterpoint. It's because yes. you're marrying the librarian the contrarian. <laughs> <laughs> this is not. Uh, Drink him out man. and do or whatever it is you got over there. <laughs> Doctor
1: Pe- 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 excuse me, <laughs> Dr. Pepper.
0: We're at that point. Wait, it's not a hint of Dr. We're, we're hey, that's the, the
1: bubbly water. No, we've we've moved on from coffee and we've gone straight
0: to the gosh, to the sugar. Devol- it always devolves quickly at the end here. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. um, it's okay. <laughs> uh, uh, on no, there. I, I've thank- got a couple more. I can I can talk. So, about, so
1: tell us about William Grant Tr- Still.
3: Yes,
0: piece. right, my oh, gosh. Thank are we really
1: going to go back to that? Shush.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, William Grant Still's Troubled Island. Yes, I did do it for my one of my recitals and and um, not the whole thing. But it's, it's a really great opera. Uh, it's, uh, the, the setting is in Haiti right after the uh, revolution where they uh, the, the enslaved people of, of Haiti threw off the French oppressors and uh, formed a first, um, I believe it was the first free independent republic in North America, I think, because their revolution, I believe, predates art. Ours. I'm not. I'm not sure about. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, anyway, so it, it centers around the character of Jean-Jacques Dessaline, who was. I think I'm saying that right. Who was uh, one of the revolutionary figures, and he declared himself emperor and became you know the ruler of the country. And uh, anyway, so he was. Um, so this is basically it's all about that this this sort of character, but it's got a lot of great folk elements. It's got a lot of great dance elements, and it's it's just and it doesn't get performed much. It got workshopped, I think, recently, but. Um, it's not done quite often, and uh, you can still get the parts. Uh, uh, William Grant Still's uh, daughter still alive. She lives down in Flagstaff, and you can order the score from her and the parts. And it's a uh, you, you should do it. It's a great piece, and you know we know a lot about William Grant Still. We know Afro-American Symphony, but this is uh, this is one that I think should get done more. So,
3: all right, Brandon. Yeah, no, thanks, Larry, for that. I appreciate that, and I think it's interesting. You know, is. Um, we talked a couple of weeks ago, when I was on the podcast before, about I think conductors in some in some ways have a responsibility to um, be a voice for some of the underserved music that's out there and unknown music. Um, you know, because I've thought a lot about this too. And, and this last year at the university, um, one of the things that I was doing uh, was um, some of the papers that I was writing and researching. Um, I came across a couple of scores of kind of unknown folks um, from the, the classical time period that um, I found kind of fascinating that not all of their output is, is should be done because <laughs> it's not all amazing. But you know, I was thinking, and then with the pandemic and stuff, and then the time that I had, the, the, the more free time on my hands that we never get the opportunity to have to kind of dive in and see what repertoire is available for the ensemble sizes we're gonna be working with right now. and. String only stuff and all those kind of things. And, you know, there's so much repertoire out there that is worth a look um, and and should be considered. You know, so the the two pieces that I kind of looked at this year, uh, one was by Juan Ariaga, um, who um, came out of Spain, um, but was kind of a child prodigy like Mozart, um, but he died at 19, mm. and so his output is very very small. Uh, he's got a great string quartet piece, and then his symphony in D. Um, not D major or D minor, just in D, because yep. he oscillates so quickly between the two keys um, throughout the piece. Um, but, you know, just, it was this little this little gem, it's so well written. Um, he studied in Paris, or he went to Paris to study, and then he ended up dying there, but um, he got sick. Um, but, you know, it's just, just <laughs> he got sick to fill died. in the blank, yeah. a, a, a quick bio of Juan Arriaga. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, just this, these little these little nuggets you find along the way that could be really well done um, by an orchestra of, of things you're kind of unheard of. And so I think you guys want to check out the other guy that was a French composer, to piggyback on what Matthew was saying with French writing and Debussy, um, was uh, Etienne Mejewel, was a guy that I found who was really well known in his time, especially for his opera writing. Um, of course, French opera at the turn of, eight, of into 1800 was a big deal. That was kind of the premier opera style besides the Italian style. Um, but really well-known as an opera composer. He taught at the Conservatoire. He was one of the founding um, members of the Conservatoire Board. Yeah. Um, but uh, he has five symphonies, um, only two of which have been have been printed and published. Um, the other three are in uh a, a, a Collected works, um, but they're not in print. Um, but I, I really got into the third symphony this year because I heard it on the radio and I was like, "What the heck is this?" And so, kind of researched him out. Um, I think his first symphony for sure is worth any group, on, any ensemble doing. It's fantastic. Um, the third one is okay. It's in C major. It's not his best work, um, but <clears throat> it was one of those examples of things you just kind of come across. And, and you know, for him, it was about trying to make a make more of a name of himself in the, in the time of the emergence of Beethoven, <laughs> which, which I think it's interesting. I think that's that would be a conversation at some point too, is to talk about these composers that maybe got quashed um, unintentionally. I'm glad,
1: you, I'm glad you mentioned that right? because
3: you yeah. have these these gargantuan names that come out, yeah. and rightly so. I mean, Beethoven as a symphonist is like ridiculously good and inventive and different and profound in compared to those that just stayed and kind of did the same follow the same classical pattern or whatever, like a Haydn sort of template, um, they're not gonna last. Mm-hmm. And when you have somebody as inventive as Beethoven. But um, you know, I think there's there's so much good music out there of folks that just are underrepresented because they're they're <laughs> they've been eclipsed by these these, you know, kind of Mount Rushmore names mm-hmm. uh, of composers and so for me, it was kind of fun this year to, to look into these guys that are just not as well-known and but yet have some really stellar music out there that is great for kind of any, especially community ensembles, because it's not particularly challenging, but um, just to give some audience different exposure to some of the stuff that might sound familiar because it's the same time period as Mozart or Haydn, <laughs> but yet it's this different take on we, it, so we should do it's a, kind of fun.
1: We should do a Repapalooza that... Features unknown works. Yeah, like this is exactly the sort of stuff that you're talking Ooh, about. I got a really good one for it. All, All right, right, well let's save let's, it. let's put a save let's put a pin it. in that, and save it for Repapalooza Part Two or Part Three. Part, I it'd be, yeah, it'd be Part Three, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. So anyway, but that's
3: that's those were kind of two composers I looked at this year, Ariaga and Mayhew, that never would have come
0: across in any, in any <laughs> other context. And so
3: it's been really great. It's been really great. To
0: us, awesome. get your right. credit cards handy. Yeah. I I have an update on the Haitian situation. Oh. Yes. So it's the first independent Latin American republic, 1804. Okay, oh, so wow. we actually were earlier, but it's the Not first independent Latin yeah. And uh, it was black the, and it was the first one that came out as a result of a slave rebellion. Oh, so, wow. There you go. That we want to keep uh, update the historical record there. Uh, but anyway, um, Yeah, appreciate our fact checking on. That. There you go. Thank, yes. thank, yes. thank you. Karen, thank, thank you, Thank you for the yeah, fact check. <laughs> Keep us honest. Um, well, guys, uh, the sun is coming around. Yes. Um, and you know what that means. And there's also a guy here who wants to mow the grass. Yeah. So we don't we don't want to stop that. No, Even though look, it's, it's been looking so good. It's we started been good. last week. We talked talked about the grass, how good it was looking, and, and and it's it's. Yeah, we want to keep this going. Yeah, we want we want to keep this trend. So Courage mowing way. to happen. So <clears throat> yeah. thanks thanks for, thanks again, guys, for doing this. Thank this you, Brandon, has been so you, much Matt. fun. Thank Absolutely. you. It's been very nerdy, you. and it's been. You know, truck infested, but it's all right. We, we, we persevered and got through it. And thanks for staying for the for the bonus episode. And uh, we'll do this again. We'll uh, do it again. I think I think it's good to kind of talk through rep and especially stuff that maybe doesn't get played as much, yeah. um, or maybe stuff that is gets played a lot, but maybe we can think about it in a new way. So we'll we'll do this again. It's on tap. And Absolutely. we'll catch
1: up with our nerd moments and rants.
0: Yeah, next we'll week. we'll 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 do some rants next yeah. week. So uh, anyway, we we'll ranted th-
1: enough. Uh, I, I ranted think, enough. Yeah, yeah. You have, you, you've, you've maxed your rant out for the
0: for the year. One um, <laughs> yeah. well, way. Anyway, thanks for tuning in, everybody, and we uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And uh, look for us next week here on Conductors Brew. Cheers.